This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, it's good to, to see you, or at least to see the upper half of your face. Uh, this this mass life, it's a strange thing, but we're really glad you're here. Uh, if, you, if, you are, if you are new to our church, uh, again, welcome. Thank you for, for spending your morning with us uh, during really strange times in the world. Uh, it is, it's, it's really humbling that you, would, that you would visit a church uh, in the midst of a global pandemic and, and that our church would be that place. So just honestly, really want to thank you for, for, for joining us. Um, if you've been with us, you'll know uh, we've been working our way through a, a New Testament book called the Book of Acts. If you've brought a Bible, I'd invite you to open that now. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, that's okay. You'll be able to kind of listen along. If you do want to follow along, we do have the, the, the passage for today's sermon uh, on our website if you want to pull up the order of service. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. Um, and... Every week, I kind of just I kind of seed in a little bit about the book, uh, but this this isn't new information to you, but I, I just more kind of a reminder. Uh, this this book uh, is is recorded history, uh, so these are historical events uh, that actually took place in time and space with real people, just like you and just like me. And what we see in these twenty eight chapters uh, recorded for us. Um, is not an exhaustive account of everything that happened, uh, but it is a very detailed account uh, that is uh, recorded by a man named Luke who was meticulous in his rec- records. Uh, I'm reading his gospel right now, and, and his, his gospel account is, is perhaps the most detailed, meticulous account we have of the four gospels. And what he's recording for us is... Uh, what could be described in today's uh, terminology is um, something going viral. And when something goes viral, um, it, it expands rapidly, and it has great impact on people. And what's going viral here and what's being recorded is what we call the gospel. Uh, the, the good news about the person and the work of Jesus uh, who he is and what he came to do, and how that's changing the entire landscape of history as recorded here and as continuing in our lives now. And in chapter 11, uh, uh, in chapter 10, really, something um, radically new and paradigm shifting happened. And chapter 11 is a recollection or a kind of a, a highlighted review of what just happened. And the thing that just happened is, is scandalous to the people that would have originally been in this context. Downright scandal. Um, right now, if you're, if you're kind of on social media or you're watching uh, the NBA or you're kind of out there doing some things, you'll know that there's a big push right now uh, to vote. Uh, you know, we're in, a, we're in an election year, and voting is always important, but for, for, for various reasons, voting's kind of being um, highlighted right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of approaching the midlife uh, era, and I was just reflecting on my history of voting 
uh, which will not be uh, announced today in full. Uh, but, I, but I will say this, um, full confession, I have not voted every time uh, that I've been able to vote uh, from 18 years on, uh, many of which times I regret not voting. Uh, but, but even more as a, as a dad and kind of raising kids, just showing you know, children the importance of voting, I, I, think, I think it's important to, to know that not all people have always been eligible to vote or had equal access to voting. And, and there's something profound about the fact that you know, all people of all ethnicities and all genders uh, above the age of 18 in our country have, have a voice. They're eligible, and they have access. Acts chapter 10 uh, did a similar thing in giving eligibility and access to belonging to God's family to everyone. It's no longer to just the Jewish nation. It's now open to Gentiles of every tongue, tribe, and nation. And it's scandalous. This morning, we're going to actually going to be focusing on, on one phrase in, in these larger 18 verses. So I'm, I'm going to read 18 verses. 80% of it is review of what we looked at last week. So if you weren't here last week, it'll be new material to you. If you were here last week, you'll kind of, it's a, it's a refresher. And we're going to hover in on, on, the, on the concluding statement um, that these apostles and early followers of Jesus come to on the scandalous nature of what's taking place and being recorded in this book for us. So let me read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11, and I'm going I'm to stop down there at verse 18. This is the word of God for God's people this morning. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. 
and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray together and ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Father, we all still have that chorus humming in our minds, speak, O Lord. We need to hear from you. Would you open your word to us that we might see and believe beautiful, true, and good things from it today? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our young life together, Heather and I have had the chance to live in a variety of different parts of the country. Uh, in fa- fun fact, actually, we've lived in every southern bordering state um, except for Alabama and Florida. So California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, we've got them all. Uh, and Mississippi. Sorry, I forgot Mississippi there at the end. So we, we've lived in a lot of places, and in our time of kind of traveling and, and spending time in different places, we've made a lot of different friends. Uh, this morning, I want to introduce you to two, two of the, probably the most impactful friends that I've had in my life. Uh, the first one's his name is Aaron Johnson. Uh, Aaron uh, and, and his wife Shauna were with us when we lived in New Orleans. We were doing some, some hurricane, hurricane relief effort after Hurricane Katrina down there in 2006 or so. And Aaron Johnson, uh, he was known, or he kind of marks a memory in my life for two main things. One is he ate peanut butter on everything. And, I, and when I say everything, I mean everything. He would have hot dogs with ketchup, mustard, relish, and peanut butter. He would have tacos, loaded tacos with peanut butter. Uh, he put peanut butter on everything he ate. It was very strange. I still don't get it. But that, that marked my memory of Aaron. But the second thing, uh, and more applicable what I'm talking about this morning, was Aaron, at the ripe young age, we were probably, I don't know, 25 when we were all hanging out, uh, he could fall asleep anywhere at any time. Uh, it did not matter what was going on, how much noise there was, where we were, that, that man could fall asleep quickly. So that's, that's Aaron Johnson. Just hang on to him for a minute, the sleeping factor. Uh, my second friend, his name's Scott Moore. Some of you have met Scott. Uh, he's my really tall friend. He's been here to preach a couple times. He led our men's retreat a couple years ago or last year. Uh, Scott and I went to seminary together, uh, pastor's school, you know, in Mississippi, and um, Scott has probably been the most influential in my life in provoking me to live just a deeper spiritual life. And uh, so he's one of the voices, that he just speaks into my life, he's one of the guys that I listen to his sermons online uh, to, get, to get encouragement from, and right now he's preaching through the book of James. He's been there for a, a while, um, and he's preaching through the book of James, and he's been using, he's been using this, little, this little term, and, and, and I asked him, he, he says he made up the term. Now, I told him, listen, until you like, get a published book, I can't like, quote you in my sermons and tell you, but, I, but we're going to take his word that he made up this term, and we're just going to give him credit for it. Uh, but he's been using this term a lot in, this, in the James series, and the term is redemptive gravity. That'll, that'll, be, that'll sell a book, right? Redemptive gravity. And the essence of the way he uses it, uh, particularly in the context of the book of James, is that trials and tribulations, right, troubling things in our lives are, are, the, are what God uses to be redemptive gravity. And redemptive gravity is the thing that draws us to the bottom. It kind of brings us to the deeper, darker places. So, 
Aaron Johnson, Sleeping, Scott Moore, Redemptive Gravity. Let me tie those together and kind of introduce this text this morning. Um, I think Acts chapter 11, particularly the conclusion that they come to in verse 18, um, is both a warning and an invitation to us today. So here's, here's the warning um, for some of us today. The warning is that we may be asleep on the kingdom of God. Um, I've said it, and I'll continue to say it, the, the kind of the running theme in the book of Acts is the kingdom of God on earth. And I'm curious if, if we're sleeping on it. Like if we've just kind of been lulled to sleep by our lives and, and largely ignored the work of the kingdom of God on earth right now. That's kind of the warning, and, and I'd and I'll alarm you to, to kind of be w- awoken to, to, to the realities of the kingdom. But the second thing is an invitation. Um, much like the book of James, where trials and tribulations are to be considered joy, um, we are all experiencing, without exception, global interruptions in our life because of all that's going on. I don't, I don't need to spend time listing that for you. And these things are an invitation to allow the redemptive gravity to take weight in your life and to bring you below the surface. So the invitation is for you to perhaps, uh, not an accusation, just an invitation, to stop living on the surface, to come under, and to see what's down there. Um. This passage, the conclusion it comes to in verse 18 is that God has given repentance that leads to life to all types of people. And if you've been around Christianity and the Bible and the teachings of Christianity and the Bible, you have heard this terminology of repentance. And I, and I think repentance, that word, that term, um, can feel like one of two things. Um, let me just kind of anal- analogize it like this. It's like, it's like sushi. So sushi, the first time you eat it, you feel all the textures, and it's like a little much, and you're not really sure what you're eating. And repentance, like if it gets in your mouth for the first time, so some of you are new to Christianity, you're new to the Bible, you've heard this term, it's, it's a little kind of overwhelming. It can feel a lot like that, like, whoa. What is that? Uh, for others of you who've been, you know, eating sushi your whole life, you've heard repentance, you know it. It kind of just, you know, once, you're, once you've eaten sushi, you dunk it in soy sauce, you throw it in. It's like all the same, right? So all the flavors meld together. You don't know what you ordered. You just eat it. If you're a sushi eater, you get it. And like for some of you, that's what repentance is. Like you've been around it. You know it. Oh, yeah, yeah, repent and believe. Like it's, you know, it's, it's common ground. Well, I'm hoping to kind of in, introduce some new language around this today to both, um, just to, to make it not, not palatable in the watered-down sense, but to make it palatable in the sense that it will actually get inside of your life, that it will actually change you. Um, John the Baptist, if you're familiar with him, and Jesus the Christ, you've heard of him, both highlighted at the front end of Jesus' life and ministry the importance of repentance, 
uh, the message from both of them was essentially repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe because God's kingdom is here now. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Now is the time to repent and believe. And if you've been around the church, here has been the primary teaching that you have heard about repentance. It is to turn away from your sin and turn towards a life of righteousness. And that language of turning is absolutely biblical. It is in the, 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 the root of the word to turn. Um, but here's what it can sound like to you. Um, I've done bad things. I haven't kept up God's moral code. My behavior's been a little off. My anger's been a little explosive. Whatever the behavior moral code breaking has looked like in your life, I need to turn away from that, and I need to turn towards God and a life of right, right living and good obedience, and I need to just kind of follow God's way. And, and on the surface, that sounds okay, but the problem with that teaching on repentance is that oftentimes when we handle it that way, we quickly and easily um, confuse the root of repentance with the fruit of repentance. Now, the fruit of repentance is obedience. So hear me up front. I, I think you should obey God. I think there are moral implications for the gospel. You should, you should live a godly life and do all those things. But if you assess your spiritual life by your performance, you will end up in one of two camps. You will either be an a really prideful, self-righteous, arrogant person, or you'll be utterly despairing and doubtful all the time. If you're primarily looking at your spiritual life through the lens of how am I doing performance-wise. Now, what the Bible is inviting us to and what's going on in Acts is that the root of repentance is much deeper. It have a, has a gravitational pull towards a, a return to, for, to a former life. Um, the Old Testament word for repentance is shuv, and that has the connotations of um, returning. The New Testament word is metanoia, which in the breakdown of the Greek is beyond the mind. So here's, here's my kind of common man's approach to what repentance should be. It is returning to life with God. It is returning to living beyond your critical mind. Your critical mind being that mind that says, oh, I just want to stay up here on the surface where things seem to be good and practical and right and I can, just, I can have a tangible experience of whether I'm pleasing God or not. When the real invitation of repentance is to go deep, into those dark corridors of your heart. And if you're willing to go there, guess who will be there with you? Jesus. Returning home to life with God is the language I want to introduce you to this morning around what repentance is. It's returning home to live with God. So let's do this this morning. Um, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at, you know, home we're going to look at leaving home, and we're going to look at returning home. So, again, might be new language to you. I'll, 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 I'll tag the theological categories onto it so you can track. Uh, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to both, we're going to, we're going to kind of use Google Earth as our template this morning. So, 
you know, we're honing in on verse 18. Uh, I'm not going to kind of repeat everything that just went on in Acts chapter 10, but verse 18, that God has granted repentance that leads to life. Like we're Google earthing in on that passage, but in order for you to understand um, really the implications and what was so scandalous about this, why the church was so disrupted by this, we have to, we have to Google earth out. So I'm going to begin by just kind of Google earthing out giving us a broad, quick overview of what, you know, what God is up to in the world. Then we're going to kind of Google Earth back in, and not even just back in on this text, but what we're going to do is we're going to type in your home address. You know, when you Google Earth uh, home, your home address, and you kind of see, ooh, what was our yard like at that time? And, oh, whose car was parked out front? Like, we're going to do that with your life. We're going to kind of do a little Google Earthing in on your life this morning. So let's talk about home. In order to understand what home is, we have to go back to the very beginning. In the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, it shows us what home is like. And here, here's my uh, understanding of home. Home is unfiltered, unhindered access to the living God. That God created people to be with them without any hindrances or barriers in the way. And so what we see described in the first two chapters of the Bible is people living with God day in, day out. Rituals and routines. God told them, here's, here's paradise. Your job is to work it and keep it with me. And so they live this life of just mind-blowing access to God. The way the Bible describes it is that God walked in the evenings with them. He went for walks in the Bosque with his people. Uh, it, is, it is the language of deep, personal, intimate friendship with God. That's what home is. And um, the, the kind of the, the, the terminology that the Old Testament would use for that is what they would call shalom, wholeness. So to live with God with a whole heart, there's no shadow in it, there's no division in it, it's not uh, duplicitous or divided, it is wholehearted living with God. That's what the Bible describes as being home. Uh, I could put it this way, and you, you, you know, you can you can laugh me out of the pulpit. But home is where your heart is, right? You'll find that on a on a plaque uh, at Hobby Lobby, maybe. Like home, there's a, there's a lot of truth in that. Home is where your actual heart is. You, all of you, I can say unequivocally, every single person listening or, or, or here with us on this was made for that. That's the, the whole human experiment, experiment, the whole thing was so that you could have unhindered, un, uh, uh, unfiltered access to God. You could have a friendship with God. And now in Acts chapter 11, it says that the Gentiles have received the word of God. Now that is not simply um, some doctrinal and theological statements that they've signed off on. 
That is not saying, hey, you know, the Gentiles now believe that the Bible's true and, you know, Yahweh is, is, is theologically this. Like, that was not a theological assertion. It was a relational one. So now that the Gentiles, meaning every, everyone has access to this God, They've received, again, relational language. They've received the word of God. Um, God's dwelling place now is inside anyone who wants to come home. Anyone who wants that original design for their life, unhindered, unfiltered access to God, can now have it and have it in its fullness. Uh, do you remember, G- maybe you remember some of Jesus' statements. I've been reading through the Gospels a lot lately. Um, he, Jesus would say this. He, he would talk about his love for his father a lot. You know, Jesus, he is the only human being who has ever perfectly lived the wholehearted life of shalom. He never, he never left that. So he comes and he becomes a human like you. And then he lives the life like you're supposed to live it. In perfect, utter, loving union with God the Father. That, that's what his life was. It was a display of, of what it means to be human. To love God the Father with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor like yourself. And so Jesus would say things like this to his followers. And he's saying it to you today. He would say, listen, if you want to love God, if you want, if you want love like I have love for the Father... Um, you can have it, and here's how we'll do it. He, he would say this in John chapter 14, I'm paraphrasing. John chapter 14, he would say this. If you love me, then here's what me and my father are going to come and do. We will come and we will make a home with you. He uses that language of home. That's where I'm getting this from. He will come and make a home with you. And so Jesus is primarily interested in a deeply personal relationship with you. He is not ultimately concerned with all of your theological intricacies or your doctrinal assertions or your denominational affiliation or, you know, who you're supporting with ministry. Like, all those surface things Jesus is less concerned with, he wants to get make, make home with your heart. So that's what home is. But the problem is we've all left home. So let's talk about what leaving home is. Okay, back to the garden. So if you're familiar with the Bible's account, Genesis chapter 3 tells us uh, God wasn't enough. That unhindered, unfiltered relationship with God just, it didn't, it seemed too good to be true. And deception, you know, slithered its way into the garden and convinced um, people, just like you and just like me, that, that God just wasn't enough. He must be holding out. He's got to be two-faced. Like there's, there's, there's got to be more to this. And so the serpent deceives these people. He says, listen, God's, he's, he's holding out on you. He, he told you, you could have all this good stuff, but why is he withholding this one from you? And so humanity uh, plunges ourselves into divided living. We leave God. We leave our relationship with him. It's entirely disrupted and distorted now. And do you remember the first thing people did when that happened? They hid. They felt the shame, they felt the gear, they, the, the guilt, they felt the fear, and they went and hid themselves from God. God comes to them by grace, 
not in, a, not in an angry father's voice, but in a loving father's voice. He says, where are you? Like, where are you, my kids? Where did you go? Why did you leave home? And they come out, and they've covered themselves with fig leaves. And fig leaves, um, they're, they're, they're good at partially covering you, but they leave parts of you hanging out. We'll leave those details. But, like, they don't cover you fully. And so, you know, we, we, we do that when we leave home. It's like we try to put our best foot forward. We try to make ourselves look good. We try to do the best we can, right? We're like giving it our good old best college try. It's fig leaves. It's trying to present ourselves as okay with God. And it's just not enough. And so God, even though we've chosen to leave home from him, he does two things that are really important for you to understand. The first thing is he evicts people from paradise. He says, listen, you can't be here anymore. You've got to go. So he sends them east of Eden, right? And the reason he does that is not because he doesn't love them anymore. In fact, it's because he loves them too much. Because if they were to stay in God's presence with all their utter rebellion and their, you know, their inability to keep relationship with him, God, God couldn't contain that. So he says, you've got to go. And on their way out, he evicts them. And, and what does he do? What does he put at the garden? at the entrance. He says, listen, here's the tree of life. This is, this is relationship with me, but I'm going to have to put a couple of um, angels, cherubim, with flaming swords to guard it because you can't come in anymore on your own terms. It will kill you. This relationship is too good for you. It will kill you. And so hang on to that for a minute. We're going to circle back around to that. So what God does is he, he begins to help us realize we are homeless without him. One of my kids, uh, he just really has a heart for, for the homeless in our city. And we see them frequently, or you know, what we assume to be homeless people, um, out, out when we're out. And he always regularly asks me, Dad, don't they want a home? And, you know, some, and I don't know these people, son. And I, and I kind of tell him, you know, not all of them want a home. You know, some of them are very comfortable with this lifestyle, and for various reasons, you know, they're not necessarily looking for a home. Um, but, but, but what my son's tapping into is this sense, this deep, aching sense in all of us that we're all kind of longing for home. And we try to get it in all kinds of ways. And leaving home um, is what the Bible would, would, would call sin. So anytime you sin, and please think deeper than the moral code breaking, it's the deeper stuff. But anytime you leave home, you're making yourself um, even just amplifying that ache of homelessness. Like you're, you're, you're feeling your ache. And I, and I, did, I put a little list together of, of what it looks like to leave home. Because when you leave home uh, and you leave the, the care of your parents, you know, you're considered an orphan. You're what the Bible would call an orphan. So anytime your outward manifest behavior does things, um, it does things because you're filling an orphaned heart. So I'm, I'm just going to read a few. I just kind of listed them off. Um, I, I didn't, you know, you know, bug your email, at, you know, address to find these things out. But I'm wondering if any of these or any of you, um, traffic rage, <laughs> like when you're when you're just so just spun up about that guy that cut you off or the guy that's in the left lane, you know, going the speed limit or less than, like he's in your way. Like you're so caught up with your busyness, right? You've left home. 
um, when, you're, when your spending habits are just frivolous, they're kind of off the cuff, they're not thoughtful, your credit card's maxed out, you're leaving home. You're not living the way you, you, you're supposed to live. Maybe you're just eating and drinking just in excess right now, right? Like the, all the articles are telling us like alcohol use, um, you know, is, is off the charts right now. People are just drinking and eating because it brings us comfort, right? Like when you're doing that, you're leaving home. Um, maybe you just kind of have this need to impress people uh, with wearing, you know, the best clothes or the, the newest model of the vehicle or living in the right zip code or whatever, you know, whatever that is for you. You're leaving home. Uh, maybe when you just kind of just put your kids under your thumb, like academically or athletically, like you just, you need them to perform, you're leaving home. Maybe it's when you kind of have just this harmless uh, internet search kind of history that's killing the intimacy in your marriage. Or maybe, maybe your flavor is more like that, that seemingly harmless work relationship that's kind of you know, teetering on the flirtatious emotional connection side of things. You're leaving home when you do those things. Uh, addiction. Addiction to, 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 your, to your work life, to building your career, to furthering yourself, to proving your worth to the world. You're going to show the world who you are. You're leaving home. Um, I'll, I'll do one more on my list. I didn't, I didn't hit them all. Um, your, your, your need for social media presentation of your life, like you need that because you need people to see that you have it together, even though what you're presenting might not be entirely accurate, but you need that, and you need the likes to kind of affirm that, you're leaving home. So that's just kind of my, you know, random list of things of what it looks like to leave home. Um, But Jesus would say things like this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So, in other words, when I just read that list off, and, and you know, maybe I, I picked you off on a couple, maybe I totally missed the mark. But regardless, if you're feeling your orphaned heart that has left home, here's what Jesus says I never left it. Like the place where you left home is the place where Jesus still is. Because that's where deep, true, authentic repentance happens. Jesus wants you to go where you left him. So how do we get back to him? How do you return home? Um, let, me, let me, again, give a little overview of God's people. The reason why the fact that God has granted repentance to Gentiles is so scandalous is because the ethnic Jewish people were the chosen people of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, it's recorded about why God chose these people. And here's why he did not choose them. He did not choose them because they were better than anyone, because they had it together, because they were more intellectually superior, 
because they were more religious. None of those reasons. Deuteronomy says this is why he chose the Jews, because they were the least of all peoples. They were the smallest, most unknown, most unrecognizable, scrappy, not powerful people. God said, those are the ones I'm going to work through. And what happened was over the years, the confidence in God's election of them had turned into a boasting. And the boasting had kind of grown and bubbled up into what we would call a works righteousness. It it had become, yes, God chose us, and here's how we maintain that relationship. Religion. Doing things. See, religion will never lead you back home because it's based on fear and performance. Okay, so if, you, if, you've, if you've heard nothing I've said today, kind of refocus back in with me right here. The reason why um, fear and performance will never leave you home, lead you back home to God is because you'll never know if it was enough. You'll always be wondering, am I good enough for God? Am I good enough to be in relationship? Could he love me? And what about when I do leave home? What about when I do feel orphaned again and when I, when I fall, when I stumble? It'll never be enough. Religion will never be enough. Here's the only thing that will ever lead you home to life with God. Safety. And safety is secured by grace and grace alone. The fundamental difference between Christianity and every other worldview is that it is based on grace. The language of Acts chapter 11 verse 18 is that God has granted, he has gifted even the thing he requires from us. He has gifted us repentance that leads to life. And here, here's the final layer of how you can know you're safe is that he did everything that's required of you. Do you remember the garden? Where he put the flaming swords up with the cherubim? He said, these are the flaming swords. You can't come back to me on your own terms. Well, guess what Jesus did? He came to the world as a stranger, and he lived the life that was required of you. He lived a wholehearted, shalom-loving, God-fearing commandment-obeying life in the sight of God, perfectly, without fail, never messed up. And then he walked up to those flaming swords of judgment to get back to the tree of life. And in order to get us back to the tree of life, he climbed onto the tree of death. And he was pinned and persecuted by Roman soldiers. His flesh was torn open. His limbs were pinned to wood. And he died the death that should have fallen on people who left relationship with God. And he walked through those flaming swords of judgment so that anyone, anyone, Jew, Gentile alike, Anyone who wants to get to the tree of life, the only way to get there is through his tree of death. Are you homesick? Do you want life with God? Do you feel the warning that you've been asleep at the wheel? That the kingdom of God's all around you, that God's doing these momentous things in the world and you're missing out? Do you you hear the invitation from the good shepherd 
says, come down here. Come down to those places where you left me. Those dark corridors in your heart that you've locked up that you just don't want anything to do with. The trauma of your childhood. The pain of your divorce. The disruption of the disobedience of your children. All those places that you will not let God in. That's where God is. And he wants to make his home with you there. So are you homesick? Come home to be with God. My final, my final thought for this morning is this. If I could summarize Jesus' teaching, which is an audacious thing to do. I don't try to do these things often. But kind of the repetitious themes in Jesus' life and teaching that I'm seeing are kind of threefold. They are this. I love you. Don't be afraid. I will never leave you. Like if you will let that kind of soak into your bones, that the son of the living God deeply loves you, and that no matter how dark those places of your heart are, you don't have to be afraid of him, and that he'll never leave you because he's right there waiting for you, that'll change your life. That, my friends, is what repentance that leads to life is. Let's ask God to give it to all of us. Let's pray together. <sighs> Father, oh, the aches and the wounds and the sorrows that fill our lives, Lord. From birth to death, our lives are riddled with complications and delicate matters and trauma. Uh, but God, sometimes we just need to simplify what you're doing. And what you're doing is leading us home to life with you. We thank you that you, beginning in the book of Acts, opened a way for us all to have unhindered, unfiltered access to you. God, we believe that through the coming of your Holy Spirit, we can have that right now that we're not just waiting for heaven to be introduced to you, but right now, upon believing in the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, that we have access to you. Lord, would you draw us down? Would you open those closets in our hearts that we've locked up twice over? Would you meet us there? And would you remind us that you love us, that we don't have to be afraid, and that you'll never leave us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the Sermon Podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 